Welcome to Grow Your Influence Tree with your host, Leonard Kim. This is the show especially for those that want to be among the top influencers of the world. We'll help you build your brand, tell the most compelling story, build your reputation and grow your audience, and attract the top clients and customers. Listen to the experts. Think like they do, and you'll be on your way. Now, here's Leonard Kim. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here, and today we have a very special guest for you. His name's Brian Ponsford. Um, Brian's from uh, Sandy, the Sandy area i'm up in los angeles and we're going to be talking about the topic of uh we're going to today we're going to be discussing the topic of like giving and how important it is and how to incorporate it into things and uh, before we get into any of that i just wanted to uh have brian take a moment to introduce himself um ryan can you tell our audience members a little bit about who you are your background and what brought you to where you are today yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Leonard, and thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so my that's a, a lengthy background, but the, the short version of it, I guess, is I come mostly from a financial services space. I was in wealth management for many, many years and private banking, work with very affluent families, and along the way, I made some observations, um, many of which led me into this world of, of giving and philanthropy and really learning the power of what it can do for individuals that engage in it. And interestingly, it really started with trying to solve a problem that I saw recurring in families. And the issue was, and and it's not exclusive to wealthy families, it really applies to most, but it just gets compounded as people increase in their wealth. And that's that what I recognized is when wealth transfers to kids, oftentimes kids blow the money and hate each other. And Bad things yeah. happen in families in that during that process, right? You, have, you might know somebody where that's happened to. Yeah, I've seen that a lot and, of times. Yeah, it does happen. And so, when you know, when I ask people what matters to them, typically family is very high on the list. It's very important to them. And so I just saw this problem of, you know, as, as we helped people create wealth, it was often at the expense of the family. And that created this, I guess you could call it cognitive dissonance in my own mind. And so that's initially what I was trying to solve is how do we create multi-generational continuity within families? And the challenge became most families didn't really want to go and do all the work that it takes to create that. Um, having a you know, mission and a vision for a family, having kids have good financial literacy understanding, have an effective communication channels in the family and trust. And so I just started experimenting with different ways of how to do that and the by far the most effective thing I discovered was using philanthropy and a very specific path of it in order to start overcoming some of those challenges. And well, I doing so realized how many other things in life that it applies to. Yeah, I've also seen a little bit on the contrary end where uh, parents will go out there and create like a successful seven-figure business, but then the son's like a creative and he wants to do his own thing, so he doesn't want to go and take over the family business too. So I've I've seen both sides where people go and blow the wealth and other people kind of want to do their own thing and take ownership of their own lives and not get what's handed down from their parents. So it's been kind of interesting. But um, you uh, which can be a great about- thing. With, but that, mm-hmm. so I mean, that in itself can be great. And that where, where I think you have a flaw is when people try to control what the kids could or should do, right? Yeah, especially Versus in the Asian them the opportunity. Especially in the Asian community, if your dad does like import export and has a pretty successful business at 
doing that. Then the son or daughter is expected to take the helms of the company um, <clears throat> after they're at a certain age, after they finish school. So it's kind of like yeah. a set expectation and a set uh, control mechanism, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the idea of giving becomes interesting when you start incorporating that into it. Mm-hmm. And so kind of kind of where it, it it peeled off for me was um, using philanthropy, a, a philanthropic experience for families to start connecting and where we could address just opportunities. And to your point, some of this was around finding what really brings people alive. And oftentimes in families, you know, parents have an expectation for their kids, kind of what you just described. Uh, they're going to take over the business. They're going to go to college and get a good education. They're going to do all the stuff that we weren't able to do because now we have the money to do it. And, you know, oftentimes that's not what the kids want. And so we wanted people to find what, what makes them come alive. And one thing that we discovered is that when we take the time to have a conversation, and we actually have created some exercises and some cards and things around this for people to identify the causes that they care most about. It really makes a difference in their ability and motivation to do something about that particular cause or social injustice or whatever you might call it in the world that makes them want to really go make a difference. Mm. And then the real power comes in. I'm sure, I'm sure you've done you've given or had done some type of volunteer experience. And what you may discover, which a lot of people do is, you know, you go on a trip to go help some people out or do something nice for them. And you find that it actually impacts you sometimes as much and sometimes even more than it does the people you're there to help. Yeah. I've had that experience. One year I went to uh go volunteer at the special Olympics. Um, I don't really know if I did too much as a volunteer because there's so many volunteers doing so many different things. So I don't know if my role was really that impactful for making the event that much better. But then when I saw everyone and how motivated they were and how excited they were with everything that they were doing, competing in the Special Olympics, like that really like touched my heart and moved me and made me go, wow, this is a magical moment. Exactly. You got it. And that's something you can't tell somebody. You almost have to experience it, right? Yeah. Um, if someone told me that would happen, I'd be like, uh, I don't believe you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. It, it might sort of make sense, but you wouldn't experience it. And yeah. so that's where the, so the question becomes, you know, how do you get people giving experiences? That's and true. so, right. And so, well, and so let me, I'll tell you a little bit of story that a thing that occurred is I, I was doing this work with families and happened to have a friend of mine who is a teacher at a school down here in San Diego called McFadder Middle School, which was part of the juvenile court system. These are kids that had been kicked out or expelled from the traditional school system, um, and they were put into his program. And he'd had some conversations about finance and life insurance and things of that nature, so we were sitting around chatting. And um, I was talking about this work I was doing with wealthy families. He was sharing the story of the kids that he was working with and just their lives. And, you know, 60-some-odd percent of them were foster kids and just the challenges they had. And we thought, wow, we're in different worlds. And then we all of a sudden realized, well, wait a second. A lot of those kids shared a lot of the same challenges of those in the families that I was working to help. And it was a sense of purpose in life, just a, a vision for the future, 
having financial understanding, um, good, again, good communication, trust of the peers and other people around them. Uh, these kids lack a lot of those core things. And so we got to thinking, well, shoot, what if we could raise some money and have those kids give it away? What would it be like to put them on the giving side of philanthropy? And it started forcing me to really study philanthropy and understand what it is. And, and I love asking people, so when you think of a philanthropist, who comes to mind? Um, that's a good question. Like, no one name really stands out. Uh, okay. Like, like, I'd say Bill Gates because he tries to get everyone to donate all their wealth before they die, but I don't think Bill Gates is yep. a true <laughs> philanthropist. He's more of a capitalist who's giving back, uh, but not a true philanthropist. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do know exactly what you mean. And so it's interesting, you know, in, in our society today, we think of a philanthropist as somebody that gives away lots of money, right? They are very wealthy people and probably, you know, have thrived in a capitalist environment. And now, because they've reached that destination, they're able to become a philanthropist. And you talk to people that will say, I will become a philanthropist when? And it usually has some money component to it. And, you know, philanthropy, people think of as, you know, writing big checks and getting tax deductions and names on buildings. And what, what happens if you, if you study the word philanthropy, did you ever take Greek or anything in school back in the good old days? Uh, no, I didn't the take Greek, Greek but I worked at a university <laughs> for four years, so I saw all the buildings get uh, named, and I saw... Uh, there you go, yeah, okay. I, like, benches get named, I saw chairs get named, <laughs> I saw all these different things get named. Yep. <laughs> right, so, which is usually an exchange for money, right? So... So that's how we have this, this connection of, of money and philanthropy. But if you, if you think about the word philanthropy itself, its core root, right? It's, it's two root words and actually was from an old uh, Greek playwright that wrote the story of Prometheus. If you remember your story of the, of the Titans, Prometheus was the Titan who Zeus was going to destroy man and Prometheus showed up, didn't want to happen. And so he gave man fire and hope in order for him to not be so useless so Zeus wouldn't destroy them. And so Zeus decided not to destroy man, and Prometheus's punishment was he got tied to a rock and a raven came and took his raven and ate out his liver every day or something like some terrible, awful ending to the story. But the point was the, the playwright described Prometheus as philosanthropia, which is, as far as we know, one of the earliest uses of the word philanthropy. And when you break down the term, Philanthropy into the two Greek roots, philos and anthropia. Philos is a Greek word, as you might know, for love. It's a type of love. It's more like a human interactive mankind, human love, brotherly love. Not like a, there's Greek school because there's like five different words for love. You can, in English, you can love chicken and you can love your dog and love your spouse. And they, in theory, should mean different things, but we have the same word. Greek would have different words for each of those. So it's phylos is love, and then anthropos, if you think about anthropology, the study of humankind, um, you connect those two together, and philanthropy is simply phylos, anthropos, love of humankind. Oh, wow. So it really says nothing about money, right? Hmm. No connection to money. It's simply, can you care for other people? Can you cool. love others? Which really, <laughs> anybody can do, right? Cool. I'm a philanthropist, and I have no money. So I'm like, yay. <laughs> you don't need it. That's it. You're in, right? You're in the club. Yeah. You can become one. And so if you, if you simply have the capacity to care for others, you have the capacity to be a philanthropist. 
And so nice. it starts removing all of those barriers that we've created to becoming a philanthropist. Yeah, right? like most people, and, like I've always thought that you, you got to have like at least like $5 million or more in the bank to even consider being a philanthropist. Right, which and is I wrong. Think that's like Completely the common flawed, thread of how right? a lot of people think, especially people it who is. work at jobs. Yep, they, that's, that's the common belief system, which is flawed. And so, you know, somehow we got to start changing that because what it does is, is it gives you, there's a lot of power in the ability to help others. There's a lot of purpose in the ability to help others. And once we break down the need for, you know, financial capital to do that, and what you really need is, you know, again, the ability to care or love others, that's available to anybody. Right? Yeah, it is. So, Anyone could do it. Like you could be kids. like you could technically be like homeless and still do it too. <clears throat> like um, you could <clears throat> you could a video online where like a homeless person is like super kind and giving. Like someone gives them like a hundred bucks and then they go and say, "Oh, I got to give this and split it up with all my friends." So yeah. like you could do it at all levels. Like you don't even need to have money to really do it. It, it could be as simple as you know you hold the door open for somebody when they come in, right? Somebody drops yeah. something in front of you, you pick it up for them, right? Just, I, I care about you. And, you know, love one could argue if, there, if there's one thing our world could use a little more of, it's people taking the time to care a little bit more for each other. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, like, the older you get, the more you kind of realize that um, the world could become a very lonely place if you don't keep those connections and help and grow and build things. But um, in order to make that happen, you kind of have to be a kind, compassionate, loving person in order to make it not a lonely place. So uh, otherwise, if you're, like, grim, if you're, like, bitter, if you're, like, sour, uh, if you got, like, traumas you haven't healed over... Or if you have a chip on your shoulder, then chances are the world's a pretty lonely place for you. It absolutely can be. And as uh, humans, we are, humans are, you know, they thrive in a connected environment. And what, what you know, if you want to go down that path for a second, it's interesting when you look at kind of where our society is and look at technology and you know, so much of the purpose of technology is to create connection, yet so much of the connection that's created is very shallow or inauthentic connection, right? It's like, you know, Facebook is great. I love it. I, I like to be able to kind of keep in contact with people I grew up with and what's going on in their lives. It's not a deep connection platform. You yeah, know, connection, I, I like to this you, as an example like, um, I, I started collecting Pokemon cards recently this year, and I joined, like, okay. a few different, like, Facebook groups that talk about Pokemon, right? And, okay. like, in these groups, like, people, if they get a really, really nice sought-after card, they go and post it in the group. And they're like, oh, my God, look what I got. This is so amazing. This is so awesome. And then, like... <clears throat> What you end up seeing when you're continually in the group is like hit after hit after hit after hit after hit that when you go and buy a pack and you realize that maybe nine out of ten packs don't have hits, you're like, why am I like so unlucky at this? But the uh, mm -hmm. realistic viewpoint is that 
people aren't sharing their bag cards because they don't care about them, <laughs> and they're only putting about <laughs> things that they yep. actually like. So it kind of puts this uh, misconception into people's minds, and that's not just with like Pokemon cards. That's the same with like people on Instagram showing off with their lives, doing the things that they love, and everything else. You know, like you don't get that full. Absolutely right. Yeah. And if you think about it, do humans connect more around their successes or around their failures and vulnerabilities? They connect more with their failures and vulnerabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And really, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's vulnerability that creates connection, right? That, there's a level of intimacy that comes from that. And so much of the tools we have to create connection aren't built on that premise, right? They're built on check out how awesome I am. And, you know, it's hard to connect with somebody that's just inhumanly awesome, <laughs> right? Because you always yeah, feel inferior. Yeah. And like, so it's strange. Like, it's strange when you get into it. Like, see someone who's like 6'5", chiseled, like flashy hair and all the works, you're like, wow, I could never be like that person. I'm so jealous yep. of him. I, I wish I could live that same yep. life. And you end up kind of like resenting that person as opposed to being drawn in by that person. Right, right. Now take that same person and, and let's say you end up in a conversation with them where they're describing somehow they grew up and something that, you know, they grew up in a foster home. And now they have a huge passion for foster kids and supporting foster organizations and making a difference in that space. And they become open and, and vulnerable with that with you and, and what they've been through and the challenge they've had there. Um, you now create a different connection around something you guys could both care about. Yeah, definitely. Right? And especially if it's something where you've shared an experience. True. I find a lot of people are kind of like scared about the experiences that they go through, scared that they're going to be judged if they share them. But we could talk more about that after our commercial break. Uh, where can people find you online, Ryan? Uh, great question. So the, the core place, I'm of course on LinkedIn, just at, at Ryan Ponsford. And then we have a website called Gateway for Good, which people can check out. It's a benefit corporation we set up um, that has some just real basic information around some of the things we do in the giving space. Um, I've got videos on YouTube and things of that nature as well, but that'd probably be a good start for a lot of people. Cool, and you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter, and we'll be back after this commercial break. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to the Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. 
Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Want to improve your health, business, and life just by listening to a radio show? Well, we can at least move you in the right direction. Listen for Spotlight, the Allison H. Larson Show. Each week, Allison will speak with amazing guests and find out what's changed their lives and how they are changing the lives of others. From beauty to health to business and personal relationships, we're here to inspire you to live your life of passion. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers channel we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel this is grow your influence tree to reach leonard kim or his guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey everyone, Leonard Kim here, and we're with uh, Ryan Ponsford. Uh, we've been talking a lot about giving and philanthropy and the impact it really makes on people. Uh, we kind of left off where we were talking about how a lot of people go out there and share the highlight reels and the very best moments on social media and so forth. And um, Ryan brought up an example of someone who went through like foster care, going out there and being nurturing and loving to others because of the environment he was raised in. Um, we kind of left off at the point where sometimes due to these unfortunate circumstances that many of us have to go through in life, we feel embarrassed and ashamed of what we went through. So we don't really open up about that. Ryan, what's your thoughts behind that? Well, I think the core of it is how there's, there's connection there. How do we create human connection? Right. And, and in order to do that, we have to open up to what we've experienced, what we care about, what our passions are, our dreams and our fears and experiences that we've had and, you know, part of it becomes how do we create an environment in which those conversations are had, right? Whether that's with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, um, what is it that we can do to create more human connection? Because as we were sharing earlier, you mentioned it, you know, it's easy to, as we age, to grow lonely. As, as many tools as there are things around us that are designed to create the illusion of connection, um, a lot of them don't have depth to them. And so what are some things that we can do to start finding human connection and commonality? So the world we live in, I think you might agree, is, is a pretty divided world and seems to be getting increasingly divided. So, you know, how do we start breaking down those barriers with all that's going on right now? You know, all the, just the, the racial stuff and all that thing. How do we start breaking down those barriers and finding what we have in common, not where we separate? Yeah, I think the world's kind of uniting a lot more than it used to in any time before. Uh, I feel that with, like, gas prices, food prices, restaurant prices, uh, oil price, like, all the prices of everything going up, it's kind of having people feel the pain together. So it's less about, oh, I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican, or vice versa. 
and more. We're all getting screwed. We need to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope that's somewhat true, and someone should do something about it, right? So maybe yeah. maybe there is some truth to that. And that, if so, that's probably just in the last you know few months or something that we've started to see some people recognize that that hey that you know we are in a in a tricky spot. Um, we maybe we need to come together to get ourselves out of the mess. And so yeah, hope, hopefully there's some truth in that. Well, I mean, conversations are starting, but then they're not like picking up and like riding the wave because it's all new. Like we haven't had uh, inflation like this for a long time. It's been a really, really long time. Like I think when I was yeah. like uh, 16, a bag of chips was like 25 cents. Then like when I was like 20, 25, it went up to a dollar. So it's been like over like a decade since the last time this happened. Well, most people, you know, in their working lives haven't seen anything like this. You know, I've been in the financial industry, and you can just look at interest rates. And I remember when, you know, and people older than me will remember much worse than this, but I remember rates coming down to the nines. And when they were in the nines, you know, in the mid-90s, and we were refinancing properties like crazy because, you know, oh, my gosh, you can get nine and a quarter, 9.75 on an int- on your home loan. That's crazy. And they've just been down, down, down ever since then never looking back. And so you're right. Most, most people right now have never seen this type of an environment. It's not a great environment. It's not really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But, but the question, do people notice? I mean, I think some people notice, but have we gotten so jaded that, you know, you go to the gas pump and you know, I think when I notice it is I go to fill up my car and the gas pump caps out before my before my gas tank does, right? You know, a lot of them have limits on how much you can put in your car. And uh, it'll have only three quarters of the tank and the thing turns off on me. So that's when you realize that somebody needs to adjust the governor on the, on the, on the gas pump. So then you start realizing, oh my gosh, this is outrageously expensive. Yeah, but my people keep paying it. Or more at the restaurant level, uh, because I don't mm-hmm. know why I just have this memory where I remember like the prices of items for what food costs. I have absolutely no idea why, but like I've always been like disturbed because I'd be like, "Oh, this eight ninety nine pizza is like eleven bucks on Postmates. Where where are they getting this extra two bucks from?" Like, like that's always been like on the back of yep. my mind. I like remember menus for some reason. I, I, I don't know. It's like this weird thing. Probably just me who does it, <laughs> but anyways, like um, like the Korean all you can eat barbecue place was like thirty dollars before the pandemic, and has always been thirty dollars. Then the pandemic happened, mm-hmm. food costs and everything goes up, and then it's like thirty nine dollars for the same thing. That's not worth thirty nine dollars. <laughs> and like, yeah, like go out and eat. Like I kind of feel more of that impact because it's happening all around us. Yeah, it is. It is. It's everywhere. Uh, you do notice it there where, you know, you used to be able to go out with, you know, friend or family or whomever it is, and you're in and out for 50 bucks and 30 bucks, whatever it might be, and now you're at 80, right, just to leave your house. And, yeah, you're right. So you start having to question, what am I doing? Um, but as long as people pe- pay, keep paying it, I guess there's not a lot changes. That's just yeah. supply and demand, right? Well, I think more than anything, like during the pandemic, a lot of these businesses lost their cash reserve just trying to stay alive while they weren't able to have people sitting inside their restaurants. Like I know when I yep. personally have a choice between go to a restaurant or or 
when the go to a restaurant choice was taken away and it was either get delivery, take out, or cook, like I chose the cooking option because like to me getting takeout isn't the same experience as dining in. So why would I pay that extra premium right. and I could get the when when I'm losing the environment for the meal? Yep. I uh, I'm I think the same way. That's I have the same same approach on that where what, what are you really paying for? It's kind of like I, I used to always tell people the Starbucks equation, right? So if you think about really any money you spend is an investment decision. Any time you spend is an investment decision. So, you know, I don't know. It's like, what, five bucks for a cup of coffee at Starbucks now? Probably. Well, I don't think. Is five, <laughs> right? is, is, yeah. is $5 a good investment for a cup of coffee? It could be. It depends. I'd say like, it, I, it does depend. What does it depend on? It depends on how much energy it gets and how much more productive you become. <laughs> okay. But could you get the same cup of coffee, the same energy and productivity from a $2 cup of coffee? Maybe. The one you make at your home? Maybe. Theoretical. Uh, probably, right? Right? Theoretical. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, mean I, I make coffee at home. It's, I think it's as good or not, if not better, and it's ready for me when I wake up. I can have one cup or three cups, and it smells great. I got all kinds of good stuff going on, right? Yeah, but the difference is so, in my though, opinion, it's. Coffee, you know, so I don't know the difference. <laughs> well, so here's the difference is if I'm going to meet you somewhere in LA, and I know that probably somewhere within, I don't know, three miles of wherever you are, there's probably a store with little green sign with that lady that's the Starbucks lady, and I know we can meet there, and I know you'd like a double caramel macchiato non fat mocha with sprinkles on it, so I can get you that. And it'll be just like you like it. And I know in the corner of the room, there'll be two little seats and we can sit there. There'll be some soft music and we can have a meaningful conversation. Now, all of a sudden, the five bucks is a great investment. Yeah, because right? you can't buy yourself. That thing's going to take hours to make. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, right? So you can't create that environment. So now, now it becomes, and it depends, because you're now you're making investments for value, not for price. Yeah. I wish you have a whole other Pandora box of conversation, but... Kind of to your point of, is it worth doing a takeout meal and paying a premium, or do I just make my own meal? Yeah, kind of the same concept, right? How do you quantify your, your return? Yeah, and the thing that sucks is a lot of restaurants are basically small businesses, so the small business owners are hurting, and yeah. <laughs> they have to pay their prices. But then people aren't getting paid more at their jobs, so it's not like they could even go out as much as they used to, so... Like, like the cost of goods went up, but the pay is the same. So everyone's just getting poorer. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. And, but you look at them I and some of the big companies are absolutely thriving. And so I don't know if that's being passed down to employees necessarily. Um, I guess you can sort of see it through market returns. Like company basis. Right. But so, but, you know, sadly, well, maybe they start creating more separation. Probably. Yeah, but for the most part, it probably isn't being tossed down to the employees because, I mean, ever since that greed is good mantra came out in the 1950s, like, it's all about shareholder value, shareholder value, shareholder value. And that's been the number one resounding goal for most companies since the 50s to now, and it still is. Do you think that's changing? I do. I do think it's changing. Yeah. But and, like, <clears throat> the big giants, right? Like, the big, huge corporations, 
like uh, I don't know if you've ever worked in one. Like there's so much red tape, so much politics, so many things that go on internally. Like it takes years and years and years before uh, idea becomes a reality. If that makes sense. Yep. 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 That's true. So while it might look like a lot of companies are doing nothing, they could be doing something. We just can't see it, so it's hard to judge. You know what I mean? And a lot of big yeah. companies get like uh, fingers pointed at them, which could be because they're really not doing it, but it also could be because there's politics tied up for everything. Like I think one yeah. bad that the tech community did is like you know in Silicon Valley, like they pay people above market. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, yep. people failed from Silicon Valley when uh, COVID started and went back to the, like their hometowns. Uh, these big tech companies who have like billions and billions and billions of dollars went back to their employees and readjusted their pay based off where they moved and lowered it. Okay, yep. Uh, I think that was a the pretty nice... Mess- so, but... Do you think so? Here's here's the thought though. Those for that change to happen in companies, it has to be essentially demanded by somebody. Yeah, which it seems like is going to be employees and or customers or consumers, right? Well, it can't be the employees. No employee wants to get a pay cut, but you're cutting eighty percent of your employees' pay because they moved out of uh, the high the uh, high cost area. When, when right. you're given something which and then, you get taken away, you're not as happy as you used to be. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that if you never had it at all, right? <laughs> yeah, so basically they Very just pissed true. off everyone who was like their top performers and made them all consider, should I keep working at this company or bail? So whoever made that decision, you got to wonder how the math's done on that, right? That seems like a a very expensive decision because you lose somebody. The cost of finding a new person, rehiring them, training them that the amount that they saved in cutting those, that compensation might take years to recover when one of those people leave. Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, um, it's all about shareholder value, right? The number one priority for both companies. So uh, people do what they think is the right thing to increase shareholder value by decreasing costs, but uh, the contrary is true, where if you invest heavily into your employees, then your uh, revenue skyrockets. Like, if you had a company and, yeah. hey, you get a grocery allowance on top of all your regular benefits, hey, here's a car allowance, oh, here's some money for housing, do you think anyone at the office would really complain about work? Right. Yeah. So there's that. So there's a, there's a, there's a line of doing that. So that there's actually some really cool studies, and, and we did some work on this a few years back, and we looked at three core areas. This kind of sort of circles back to this whole kind of giving concept from a corporate standpoint. And the three we looked at was a, your corporate culture, so having a culture of gratitude or generosity, um, your, the engagement or satisfaction of your employees, and the third was your involvement in your community. And the question oh. became, for companies that have these positive cultures, the companies that have engaged and satisfied employees and companies that are involved in their communities, what impact does that have on their bottom line? Do they drive more revenue? And I'd love to hear what the we, answer is. We're now at a point. 
but it's about it's time. Mind-blowing. Uh, are we about out of time? Make, yeah, let's take a little break. Let's do it. A commercial break. Uh, where can people find you again, Ryan? Uh, we have a website at gatewayforgood.com or always easy to connect with me on LinkedIn, just uh, forward slash Ryan Ponsford, P-O-N-S-F-O-R-D. You can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter and we'll be back after this commercial break. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Get Unchained. Tune in every Monday for Jane Unchained on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and social media influencer, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Jane Unchained Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The soul of enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with the replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. This is Grow Your Influence Tree. To reach Leonard Kim or his guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop a line by email to hello at leonardkim.com. Now, back to Grow Your Influence Tree. Hey, everyone. Leonard Kim here, and I'm with Ryan Ponsford. Uh, Ryan mentioned three things that a company could do or and... I, I think you mentioned it gets like exponential results or something. Do you want to touch base on what you were talking about before so we could catch the audience up? Yeah, absolutely. So we were just talking about just different impacts, the different impact that styles of, of leading corporations can have. And the three core areas that we'd studied a few years back, and there's some great data on this, was around companies that have positive, optimistic, or generous cultures. Um, companies where employees are engaged and satisfied, and then third, companies that are involved in their communities. And 
there's just some, you know, it, it, because this is this hasn't been around for a real long time, we're just now getting to the point within the last probably five, seven years where there's a lot of now studies that have come out that show the actual impact that those things can have on just the profitability and overall revenue of the company. And it's pretty mind-blowing hmm. uh, when you really look at companies that focus on those things. Yeah, I can definitely see that because, um, like, the first example, happy employees, that kind of, like, fits into the guideline of if you issue, like, a grocery allowance or if you take your uh, company out for, like, team building exercises or you go on vacation or do something with your company uh, to kind of excite the employees and have those events internally. Um, for the second example, uh, what was the second one again? I will just, uh, there's the, the culture engagement, and then being involved in the community, which a lot okay, of people so for, don't think about as much. Yeah. So engagement, that kind of ties back into like where I worked before at Keck Medicine at the University of Southern California. Like um, when I, before I started working there, we just created content that uh, marketing wanted to push out with no real insight on things. Um, when I was working there, uh, we kind of shifted directions a bit and thought, what do our customers actually want to hear about instead of what we want to push on them? And we, when we flipped that narrative around, we started like featuring like different physicians and our content and going from one to the next to the next. And that engagement was was like brought throughout the entire organization sure there's a lot of people in the company 5,000 so there's not all 5,000 participating but uh you get you get like you get like dozens upon dozens upon dozens who do and with that engagement like our results we saw that significantly go up we were a 900 million dollar company when I first started and we broke a billion dollars uh before I left so I see that that's pretty cool and yeah, um Jeff that's pretty Boston, cool I think you could talk more about generosity because I'm kind of new to the topic. <laughs> well, so take that same thing you just talked about, right? That same notion where you're getting the employees involvement and, you know, and even customer involvement. And, you know, a lot of companies right now are trying to figure out how they can make a social impact. There's a, there's a huge drive for, you know, what are we doing? And I think, you know, employees and this next generation of employees is demanding it. Consumers are starting to demand it. You know, what are you doing to make the world a better place? And companies, a lot of them are at a loss. How do we do that? You know, there's, there's corporate foundations, and they've got their three core things they do. And one thing we've been doing lately with companies is going in and helping them come up with two new mandates, right? One is, you know, do you give or make impact based on the voice of your employees? So to the conversation of employee engagement, what if you could survey, and we call it the, obtain the social fingerprint of your entire employee base. What are the causes and things that really make them come most alive? What are the life experiences they've had where they'd like to support a cause or make a difference in the world? If you had a way to identify that and then could activate some of those employees through your corporate giving to go make a difference in those areas, that could have a huge impact and does. Similarly, That's with your customer base. Right? That's a pretty what good question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I feel if you gather the information internally and then go and extract a plan based off the internal information, that's a pretty smart idea. 
But I've also seen the contrary. Like um, recently, um, the brand coach, like they speak about sustainability, and they probably just made that decision at a corporate level. They're like, "Oh, we want to uh, have a lower uh, footprint because everyone else is doing it." Then one person yep. goes and finds that they go and chop up the bags afterwards, and they're like, "How's this company preaching about sustainability when if someone brings in a used bag for a return?" They go and cut it up so no one could use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So are you are you truly living your your values, right? So that it, the 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 reality here is, companies leaders have to be genuine, right? You can't fake your way to doing good. Uh, it's the same thing as giving. I heard from a you know smart man once that you know if, if you give, you need to give without expectation. Giving with expectation is manipulation. Yeah, I can right? Giving with that. expectation is manipulation. And so we see some of these companies, to your point, they do this because they're supposed to, or everybody else is doing it, and, and they've got to, you know, they don't want to be left behind in, in the whatever the latest buzz is. And so they come up with some program that's supposed to do what everybody else is doing. They don't really believe it. They just do it. And then, you know, it looks good on the front, and then the back, you got the person cutting up the bag so it can never be used again. <laughs> right, so you know, at some point there has to be a legitimate assessment. Are we, are we real about it? And that's kind of that whole transparency conversation. So, what do you think makes the difference between a company that goes out there and like really does it, and a company that's just like faking the funk? Um, if I were to put it to one thing, probably leadership. If you hmm. were to assess the character and the motivations of your leaders that tends to influence the majority of the company hmm. top down in many ways. And, you know, while employees can drive and impact change, you really need adoption at a leadership level, in my opinion, um, to where they think differently, act differently, and are guided by their principles, right? Not by rules or fads or trends. Right? Do we have a set of guiding principles that become universal truths that we can now make decisions based upon? I could see that. And the last half decade or so around that time, we've kind of seen the leaders at company take a huge shift. Um, a lot of the old dinosaur-type personalities who were uh, a little bit more on the quote-unquote alpha side um, <clears throat> have been... Uh, leaving their positions or resigning or having things happen where they no longer take place. And then, like, more compassionate people have been replacing them. And um, that's kind of had a trickle effect at some companies. Um, Other companies, though, they put in the nice, kind face as, like, the figurehead, but then don't actually give them any power. So it's kind of like a scam for some companies. But others are doing pretty well with it. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge that every leader has in that environment is, you know, you mentioned earlier that the need to produce shareholder value. And so, you know, most companies live in like a quarterly time frame of I've got to produce, what am I doing this quarter? And unfortunately, that's really difficult because that can be at a lot of, there's a lot of conflict with that and long-term outcomes. And so really, you need to be able to have leaders that think long, um, that are in it for the long haul. Probably one of the, I don't know if you if you read any uh, books by Simon Sinek. He's obviously written some great ones. Start with why, 
Um, his one of his more recent ones, The Infinite Game, I think is is one of the great books that really illustrates this and leadership and having that infinite mindset for where you want to go with your company and thinking long, not thinking you know quarterly, short term, shareholder value driven, but how are we truly going to build this company for the long term based on our principles and yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, but the hard thing is, the difficult part is, you're, if you're at a big company, chances are your company is public. And uh, you have revenue expectations that you have to hit every single quarter. on, And you have to make sure your, your K-1s and everything are all showcasing that. <laughs> so that tr- <laughs> pressure trickle down from very top to the very lowest level and puts people into a very pressurized environment, especially if you're at like a global top company, then you've already gained like majority of the market share. There's really not much more you can really go and grab. So it uh, makes it extremely difficult for these types of companies to go and even hit their projections. So I think that's one of the reasons why other companies cut costs and things like that, because they have to go and play the stock market roles and not really focus on what they want. You're 100% right. And and to make that sort of worse, most of their compensation is planned is based on that. So you sort of have misaligned compensation plans that are very short-term focused versus long-term focused on the overall success of the company. We've seen people, you know, in the last 10, 15 years where leaders come in, they essentially drive the company into the ground based on these short-term mindset perspectives, and they get a giant chunk of change and they leave, right? They nearly destroy the thing in the process, but because they, you know, increase shareholder value over that short window, they make a obscene amounts of money. So there, there's some absolute flaws in the principles of compensation and motivation, uh, I think I think it'll be interesting to see. Are you familiar with how the benefit corporations, B corporations, that whole space and how it operates? Yeah, it's a lot different than the traditional. Yeah, yeah a little bit. I mean, you know, from a you know tax and all that standpoint, it's, it's pretty much the same. What's different is your 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 duty becomes as much to mission as it does to shareholders, which really creates a unique environment for people. To, I think to operate a little more true to mission versus having that somewhat duty responsibility to deliver first to shareholders and kind of mission second in some ways. Yeah. And then they have like the B Corp too, that does that uh, strenuous checklist to get the yep. certifications. There's ways to stand out yeah. with that. So with all this said, with everything going on, like how do we drive giving and like, what do we need to do? So what I've seen over the years is, is, you know, the, the, if I were to kind of highlight the, the core things, one is, is first understanding that, you know, philanthropy is not about money. It's about caring for others. So people having that mindset of how can I learn to care? Um, the second is that understanding of, you know, giving often is, is about changing and enhancing the hearts and the minds of those who give, often even more so than the recipient. And so with that in mind, how do we create giving experiences for people so they can actually go out and have an experience and know what it's like, right? Like you shared your example of being out there and thinking you're going to help at the Special Olympics and you probably did some stuff, but really it was you that was changed. And many of us have experienced something like that. Yeah, I I don't remember people... I remember having an impact. (laughs) Yeah, 
<laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But that, like, and that's like, okay. That's yeah. okay. But if it changed you, and because you went, somebody else will go, and you'll tell your story about it, what it meant to you, that makes other people start doing things, then you've got a, you've got a butterfly effect, right? And I don't think you can give to something or care about something and dislike it at the same time. And so, you know, for, for us, what we're doing is we're creating giving experiences for individuals, for I mentioned the high school group that we did. We started a nonprofit organization called Main Street Philanthropy, bringing philanthropy to Main Street that essentially goes into high schools and teaches life and finance all through the context of giving. We essentially raise money and have the kids give it away. And it's been it's amazing to see the transformation that happens in the lives of those kids. Um, corporate programs where we go to companies. And they go give ahead. it to a homeless person. They get $20 and donate it to their own charity. Like, how, how does this giving, how does that actually work? <laughs> yeah, so they go through anywhere from 8 to 12-week program, depending on the class and the curriculum. And what they're doing is they start out by going through this exercise of individually identifying what causes they care most about. So we have 20 causes called Make a Difference Causes. Or they're actually, it's a card deck. And they sort these cards and narrow down to their top ones they care most about. They get put in groups that have overlapping shared causes. So I might be in a group with people that really care about animals or I care about foster youth or, or health and education or whatever it might be. And we're going to work in that group where they go identify organizations and their causes, and then they evaluate them. So we teach you don't donate to organizations, you invest. So we teach them how to find a 990 tax return, which is public information, they interview board members. Um, we raise some money for them. They do their own fundraisers to, to apply it to, the, to where they're giving as well. So we teach them kind of a little mini, almost like they're starting a mini business. Um, so some business building principles, investment principles. And then as a group, they communicate and decide who they want to give to. So then they'll go out. We hop in vans, drive around town, deliver checks to organizations. And many of them get involved volunteering and doing things for those organizations. Wow. So it becomes this very hands-on experience. That's absolutely amazing. Um, anyone who wants to know more about this, reach out to Ryan. Where can people find you again, Ryan? Great. So at the, the nonprofits, you can learn about that at MainStreetPhilanthropy.org. You can actually do MainStreetPhil, P-H-I-L.org, if philanthropy has got a few too many syllables. It did for me. Um, or Gateway for Good is the name of our benefit corporation, which is gatewayforgood.com. And of course, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn, which is just my name, Ryan Ponsford. Um, easy to find there as well. Awesome. Uh, you can always find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Grow Your Influence Tree. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for making us part of your week. Listen for Grow Your Influence Tree with Leonard Kim every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Stand out, stand apart, and become a top influencer. We'll see you here next week.